Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It's a great joy for me to have as our conversation partner today, Joseph Reed. He has got a compelling story and a powerful ministry of which he is the executive director. Joseph, thank you so much for making time to connect with us today. Yeah, it's an honor to to be here. Um, I actually received uh, some marriage counseling through Winning at Home, so good stuff going on there. Well, I'm glad that it's all coming full circle, that, that you yeah. could give of your expertise and story uh, to people who might need some insight along the way. Joseph, talk about your kind of journey with uh, towards mental health and yeah. where you had some setbacks along the way and how other people might be able to, to lead from maybe the challenges and also the breakthroughs that you've had. Yeah, you know, for most of my life, I've kind of looked at it as a setback because it's always something I've dealt with. But at the same time, it's just like, it's, it's this weird gift I think God has given me. So I look at my purpose as the sum of my pain and my passion. Okay. And I think one of the things I keep learning as I, as I go through this journey with God is that he doesn't waste anything. And some of the things that have hurt me all the way going back to second grade, he's now using me to speak into other people's lives. I had this saying that, that what God brings you through, he takes you to. What you've been is what your ministry will be. And uh, my, my journey goes all the way back, back. As far as I can remember, second grade was kind of when, when it was first identified back in the 80s uh, by a teacher that just, just saw me not kind of clicking well with the other kids and doing extra things to get attention and being super empathetic. That's the process of struggling <laughs> um, with, with just social stuff. And she talked to my parents and back in the eighties, whether you were in the church or you were not in the church, dealing with mental health for children wasn't something that was, was a huge process or priority in the day. Um, and, and I grew up charismatic, went to church, uh, Pentecostal churches, Assemblies of God churches my whole life. And I just thought through the period of second grade all the way through college, that if I just made better choices and prayed harder that I would be okay. And I didn't learn until, until I was married. And my wife really pointed out that I'm not okay. And those things are not working for me. And at that time that she identified that she had found some pictures of me and, and just was gives a heads up to some, some of your listeners, some of the things I'm going I'm to say might be triggering um, because I talk about suicide a lot with my, my journey. She found, she found some pictures of, of me drawn of me attempting suicide. Um, I was trying to convince myself what I would say, try to get the balls enough to uh, do it. And she saw that and she's like, we got, we got to get you to the hospital. And she's like, we're going to deal with this now. We haven't dealt with it before. Your parents didn't deal with it. We're going to deal with it. Through my experience at the hospital, I spent two weeks there, had and experienced a lot of trauma in the hospital setting where some really bad things happened um, that I never wanted to go back. And we're talking 2002. So it was my first hospital visit. Fast forward 10 years was my second hospital visit. And because of the things I experienced previously, there was sex in the showers. There was a, I was roomed with a guy that was a male prostitute that had a fascination for my underwear. There was a guy that bit off the finger of one of the workers outside of my door in the hospital one night. And I was so drugged that first time that I lost seven days of my life that I don't even remember. But one of the things I do remember from that first hospital visit was this old couple that would come on Sundays to do a, ch a church service and just like just really old frail couple and how meaningful that was to me to connect with God. 
And the night that the finger got bit off, it was chaos there. We were all up really late. People were just crying. And I got to pray with a, with a lady, you know, she was like, I want to, I want to give my life to God right now. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we'll pray. We'll let God do what he's going to do in you. It was just a really cool experience to be used in that way, I guess. To experience that pain wasn't really, really cool, but what he's done with that has been amazing. So fast forward to 2018 is when my pastor and best friend uh, took his own life. Um, mm -hmm. He was a worship pastor at our church. And he was the one guy that understood my struggle. And when I had to go to the hospital back in 2013, again, and I was scared because, you know, my first experience was awful. This worship pastor, my, my regular pastor, and my wife all went with me to make sure I felt comfortable and safe and had a much different experience uh, at the hospital that I was at the second time and the third time. <laughs> I went there twice. And uh, so when I lost my friend, the worship pastor, uh, I lost my connection with anybody that can relate to me. Because mm -hmm. my wife, as loving as she is and as great as she is, we just celebrated 26 years of marriage. She was not able to a understand and grasp the the struggle that happened consistently in my mind it's nothing for me to have a suicidal thought every day and it's quite frequently where i will have them every 10 minutes but i have really good coping skills i've learned through therapy through great leadership in my life through great pastors uh through great friendships that have really just kind of fermented this goodness i mean i think about the fruits of the spirit for example all of those things that the Holy Spirit works in our lives are, are all about qualitative growth. It's not, none of it's about quantitative growth. Mm -hmm. And I think about the quality that God is birthing in me through his spirit and through working through me with other people through his spirit. And there's a lot of stuff I, I could go into in between there, but I, I do want to give a heads up that broken people, peer support, it's, it's the, the thing that I do. And I got started because I was working with a friend, uh, Our Daily Bread Ministries. And he's like, you know, I was writing a book. As soon as my friend died, I just started writing. I am not a writer. My last name is Reed, but I am not a reader. I am not a writer. Uh, but it's kind of like I got swept away in this, this turret of really just anger and frustration. I, I had to do something with all of the thoughts in my head because my wife couldn't handle it. Her fear response to my depression was anger and rage. So I didn't have a safe space to go there. And she, we had very great discussions about you know, me needing to find the connection with a person that I can share that with safely. And that was Nathan. But when I lost that, I lost my connection with humanity. So being able to write a book and now speaking uh, in the Midwest to churches and colleges and stuff like that, it's, they become my Nathan. Uh, Steve, your audience, you, you're my Nathan, because I can come to you and talk to you and, and share this stuff and, and feel like I'm doing something with that pain, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm going to stop there and let you that you uh, throw something at me. <laughs> Let's see where well, we want to go. First of all, I just I want to say thank you for having the courage and the vulnerability to share your story to the extent that you have shared it. And then also I just want to ask you, because again, I'm also a, a, a child of the, the charismatic movement, grew up Pentecostal, AG churches. How did your understanding of, of who God is and how God operates evolve over the decades as you walk this path, Joe? Yeah. Wow, Rick Rick's, Rick Warren's book, um, what was it called? Do you remember the name of it? Where it was like all the churches were doing them in small groups. The Purpose Driven Life. The Purpose Driven Life, where 
I was able to look at that book and, and realize that God, I, I am not constantly under God's thumb, that he cherishes me as a child. Like something really clicked there for me. Hmm. But even like in 2002, when I had that hospital experience, I called focus on the family. And I was just like, my doctor and my wife, they want me to take medication. Like, I just need to pray more. I just need to trust God more. And they're like, nah, you need a life raft. You need a life preserver. You need medication. And uh, so it's been this huge wrestling match between me having enough faith in God or seeming to have enough faith in God to, to kind of remove this thing from me and me letting this be part of my story, part of my ministry um, to a broken world. And, and, and just so you know, when my friend at Our Daily Bread was talking to me about starting an organization, I was writing a book and he's like, well, if you write a book, all you're going to do is connect with the readers. But if you start a ministry, then you'll be able to connect with larger people. And, and I had a real problem with that discussion. And, and we, we, we talked it out right then. It's like, we have a lot of ministries. And one thing I, I don't think in my heart, in my life, I, I can't be pigeonholed into the four walls of a church. Mm. So Broken People is a is an international peer support group. We have memberships from 43 countries. Uh, and we have people in my group that would never even drive into a church parking lot. Mm. But we have this beautiful community of Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives and white and black and gay and straight, people coming together and sharing our pain and listening to the word of God, uh, you know, not constantly, we don't preach or anything like that, but, but we are sharing God's love. And I think it's been so impactful for so many people to have exposure to that love. Uh, that's just blown my mind, man. It, it blows my mind. I just think about the people that I interact with who worship other gods. Like, <laughs> I just like, how can I have a civil conversation with this person about Jesus Christ? And I know that they believe in this God owning or whatever. I don't know what it is, but, um, and I'm just like, and we're having a really good conversation. And I was just like, man, God, let truth invade, you know, let, let truth live uh, through what we're doing. And even if I don't have an audience, brother, and even Steve, if, you know, I'm not doing this for um, accolades or money or anything like that. Like, it's not like if, if I die after this podcast, Steve, and this is the last conversation I have. That's enough for me, man. Like I'm, I'm going to put it all on the table because I want to treat every conversation where I have like this little like, hey, this could be it. So uh, no pretenses, you know? Yeah. Joe, talk a little bit more about how the, the peer relationship, how, like how does the ministry work? Like how, are, how do you connect with these people? What's the forum? What's the format? Yeah. So the secret is I don't call it a ministry. Okay. <laughs> That's the first thing I buck against. I, I call it a thing. Okay. Um, and, and I believe that anything that God uses is a ministry. Um, but the <laughs> labeling of the ministry creates problems for other people that would want to be a part of it. Like one of my key members is an ex-Jehovah Witness who just participates and uh, gets exposed to gospel in a real loving and non-judgmental way. Um, what we do is it's primarily uh, social media. Uh, through Facebook, we just I just started it out. I called it Broken People because when I'm at my lowest point, I feel broken. I just threw it out there. I was like, hey, if anybody feels broken like me, which is the title of my book, um, then, you know, just sally up. Let's do it. Let's let's talk. And uh, and now I've got a, a team of moderators and a director that kind of manages that social aspect of what we do. 
but we also have an in-person group that meets in Grand Rapids um, where we just we just talk and we share and we do silly things like show and tell. Every week we have this show and tell where adults get to come and just one person every week just talks about themselves and, and the wonderful way that they're put together. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, this last week, somebody brought binoculars from their grandmother that was like this old pocket thing that kind of unfolded and just the stories that come from being able to to share the things that excite us. And I think adults, we make all these rules about what we can and can't do, how we do friendship. And there's all these unwritten rules that really restrict our ability to, to purely love other people. And, uh, and, and as soon as my friend died, when I hung up the phone and I heard about my friend dying, that's when I, more than any other time in my life, I heard the clear calling of God to just start doing this thing. Um, start loving. Uh, start letting go of some of the the camouflage that I was wearing to try to get approval from people in church, to get approval from my family, to get approval from my friends. And I was becoming more and more of who God intended me to be through the pain of just that experience. And man, it has been a wild ride. You know, it's some other things we do, like peer support. Like I, I do a lot of work with law enforcement. We talk about law enforcement mental health um, because it's a serious issue. And with the international CIT, uh, crisis intervention training, they have an international event in Detroit. And I'll be there presenting about first responder mental health and colleges and doctors and stuff like that. Like I just, I just go and I talk and it's, it's very conversational. Um, I talk a lot about chocolate milk and turtles <laughs> and we just have a good time. And, and, the thing is, is there's, there's no pretenses and it's hundred percent vulnerable because for me, cause it's safe for me to do that because I have such a support system around me. One of the big things I talk about in my book is friendship and how it's important for me to have layers of friendship, kind of similar to what Jesus had, but a little different. Uh, and so I know who to go to when I'm really struggling. So even if you, you sat there and made silly faces at me the whole time and, and you told me you didn't like me. I hang up this phone call. I know I've done my best and I can get on the phone to any one of these five guys in my life that will be there for me to, to, to encourage me. And um, I have no idea if I answered a question, but <laughs> no, that's perfect. As somebody who's got like a deep passion for law enforcement, I was a chaplain for about 13 years. What What's unique about some of the stressors that first responders face as opposed to the general population, Joe? Yeah. So the, there was a study done in Buffalo, New York, of the average life expectancy of adult white males of in law enforcement. They did a study in 2016. The average life expectancy of white police officers was 21.9 years less than the average life expectancy of a, of, a, of a male, of a white male in Buffalo, New York. Imagine what's happened to you, Steve, in the last 20 years and missing that just because of your career. And what causes that? I mean, you have shift work. I mean, I, I knew a guy... So I used to be, I worked in Grand Rapids Police Department uh, back in 1998 and was a, I was horrible at it. Like I didn't last long. I didn't, I shouldn't have lasted long, but uh, there was a guy I hired in with and he never got off of nights. He worked nights the whole time. Well, you know, he went to housing uh, for a short time to be able to get off of nights, but like that puts stress on the body. And, and there's such a stigma about mental health. Can you imagine the stigma related to being in law enforcement right now? I mean, it used to be donuts, right? But now there's so much more stigma related to a, a really fantastic group of people 
majorly speaking. And uh, I think the other thing that really stands out in 2019, there were 84, between 84 and 89 deaths on the job of law enforcement where they were, you know, they were attacked or they got in an accident or something like that. There were three times as many suicides in 2019, 234. Um, and that plus or minus two or three. Uh, and, and it's funny because I was asked to speak at Grand Valley State University at their police academy. And when I was asked to speak, they didn't know about my police background. So when I got up there to speak to these recruits, I popped a picture up the day I was sworn in as a police officer and the whole like temperature of the room changed. And there was this unique way of listening. And I have this phrase that I use for law enforcement. And, and it's, and it's, and I think it's great for pastors and teachers as well, because, because I think there's a standard that we put up there for people that's unrealistic. Uh, and here's the phrase. If you don't take care of you, you can't take care of me and I need you. And what I ask these people is who is your me in your life? Who depends on you? And like, how are you caring for yourself? Officers, pastors, teachers, they want to be helpers. Each one of those professions, the expectation of what they should and can do is just crazy. We have now teachers in, you know, in different areas that think that they need to be security guards. And it's like the pressure on officers to, to be mental health professionals. It's just, there's a lot. There's not enough training in the world for, for everything. And, and there's a huge burnout rate. So I was literally an, uh, a sworn in officer for 36 hours. So my life experience with police department is very little, but what God did with that painful experience of my life, he's still continued. I'm going to speak at an academy in Wisconsin in November. Like it's hey. just, it's why God is stinking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. To, to quote back uh, Rick Warren, this is a, a quote that I've used more than once on this show and in other conversations that God never wastes a hurt. Like, oh yeah. There's, there's always some redeeming value in some of the hardest experiences of our lives that, that given time and, and faith and God's grace, I uh, can end up being a gift to somebody else down the road. Oh, a hundred percent. 100%. Absolutely. Joe, when you think about your journey, how did you answer that question? Who is, who is the me that you're going to bat for that reminds you to take care of yourself mentally, spiritually, physically? No, you didn't. You didn't just throw that back at me. Nobody's ever done that before. I've done like 55 podcasts and nobody's ever done that. Um, <laughs> you know, I have, I have four things, four priorities in my life. Uh, I journal like crazy. I got all of my journals, like 38 journals are behind me. And I have four priorities, God, health, family, and Joe. And in order for me to be, to even hear the voice of God and spend time with God, I feel like I need to be really taking care of myself. Let's look at the second commandment, right? Or the, the second greatest commandment to Jesus used, love your neighbor as yourself. I looked at that recently and I said to myself, is, is he telling me that my capacity to love other people is limited by how well I love myself? Because man, if I go beyond that, if I go beyond my capacity to love myself and love other people, it leads to this unbalancedness. And it kind of leads to what happened with my pastor friend where he was just trying to just dump out of an empty barrel. Yeah, so uh, there's this unique dance that God and I do every morning where I just kind of like, I give it everything that I have in my life back to God. And I say, you know what? If Steve doesn't call me today and the podcast is, is canceled, I'll be disappointed. But, you know, it's God's. Um, 
So keeping God priority, number one, that's one of my needs. Uh, my health, if I'm a healthier person, like I drink uh, 125 ounces of water a day. Oh, look at that sticker. <laughs> it's broken people. My ability to be a better dad and husband is limited to how well I care for myself. So just drinking enough water, getting enough exercise, and kind of mental health too. Like what am I reading? What am I surrounding myself with? What am I listening to? And then my family, my wife and my four kids, um, which three of those kids struggle with their own mental health battle. My daughter wrote the foreword to my book, and she talks about her struggle uh, in there and, and our, kind of our relationship. Yeah, so definitely them. And then under the Joe umbrella, if you look at these as all umbrellas, like I have my relationships, my friendships. But uh, man, my wife and my kids and God, there's nothing close to that. How have you helped walk your kids through their own mental health journeys? Again, to, to the extent that you can protect their confidentiality and their stories. What as a parent, sometimes you're like, hey, it's really hard for me. I'll figure it out. But watching your kids hurt uh, is, a, is another level of uncertainty and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So here's the answer for that. I, I wouldn't call it walking. I would call it crawling. I would call it like get up and maybe go a few steps and then stumble. It's, it's, it's nothing. It would be the, the world's hilarious thing to watch in the world. If you watched how I walked to parent my kids for me, it's just because the struggle has been so hard. Um, especially to the point where we're having to, to wrestle one of our kids from the, the vehicle to get them into the hospital, to have the attendants come. There's a lot of letting go that has to happen and trusting God. And that's really where it's been. There's a great book, Having a Teenager by Friday. And I don't remember exactly what it said, because <laughs> I remember, I don't remember what people say. I remember how it made me feel. And I just remember thinking, I need to make sure that my kids know I love them regardless. Yeah. And that has been priority number one, is making sure each one of them, there's no question, mom and dad love me and mom and dad love each other. Yeah. So there's no walking involved. It's, it's a lot of crawling, but being on your knees is a great place to be when you're struggling. So, yeah. Joe, I, I love to hear you say that because I got, I got four kids as well. And I think that in a world where everything is changing, like the world, the speed of the world is changing and technology is changing and culture is changing and all these different things are changing. It's harder and harder for kids to have an anchor that they can hold on to. And to hear you say, if the only anchor that I give my kids is like, you are deeply, consistently and unapologetically loved. Like if that's the only constant that they have to hang on to, that's a great anchor for them to have as they weather the storms of life. Am I, am I hearing you say that correctly? Yeah. Uh, fantastically because I can't like, I can't force my relationship with God on my children. Mm. I can only demonstrate. Um, and I've been a little bit more aware of how, how I demonstrate my relationship with God with just having my Bible out, you know? And my, when I pray in the mornings, I'm literally on my knees. I have a, I have a prayer rug that I just kind of, I pray to the East just because I want to be intentional about spending my time alone with God. And I think about like all the things that he did in Jerusalem. And I just, and it kind of just centers me to point myself and just be intentional. And hopefully through the love that I have, that God's given me, that he will have an impact on my kids. I, I, I don't know how it works, but then isn't that how miracles happen? Isn't that what miracles are? We don't know how it happened. And I just trust God with, with it all, with this, with my kids, with my wife, uh, with broken pipes, 
in, in my door, my room next door. <laughs> Joe, for people who are maybe struggling with their own mental health and they're experiencing depression, or maybe they have struggled with suicidal ideation, what, what next steps do you encourage them to take? How, how can they track you down or learn more about broken people uh, if they're local or if they're international and they, they need some help, they need that peer support that they don't currently have? Where, where can they go? Yeah. First of all, if you're feeling like that, I'm sorry. I get it. And the answers aren't easy. Uh, my website is www.broken-people.org. That's a great place, but we're, we're not professionals. We're just peer support. I am somebody that struggles and I will always point people to professionals and say, get that professional help. I just spoke with a grandmother uh, a few days ago and she was calling me about a grandchild who's just lighting things on fire. And, you know, and the punishment for the kid when he does that is he's forced to sit down and read his Bible. And I'm like, do you want to treat your Bible like a punishment? And I said, let's get him into some therapy. Let's get him into some counseling and let's have the family go through this together. And there's another great organization, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI. Uh, it's the nation's largest grassroots organization. There's there's a uh, winning at home. I've heard that's a really great place to go. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and once you get all of that and, and you get the stability of having that expertise kind of guiding you through, that's when peer support is so amazing and helpful to help you practice that. It's super helpful. Again, um, Joe Reed is the, the leader of Broken People, and you can find more about them at broken-people.org. Joe, any last closing comments, shout outs, suggestions, or questions that you have for people to, to think about? No, I've got nothing, man. Just It's just really honored to be here. I think for this opportunity. Hey, again, we're grateful for you, grateful for your story, grateful for your heart uh, and the amazing work that you and your team are doing. It's an honor for Winning at Home to, to partner with you and uh, look forward to seeing how God uses you in the future. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.